a very strong dairy farming area. And over the last two to three years, that's that's changed a little bit. We've had uh, a number of uh, farmers from further north uh, move away to get, a, get away from the drought, which is an unusual thing to say after this last 12 months, uh, which have brought in a little bit more beef and a little bit more sheep. But predominantly, it's a very strong dairy, dairy area from um, a little bit north of Terang right down to the coast. And then if you go a little bit further, it's also a great cropping country and uh, good wool. Yes, correct. Yeah. All, all not too far, yeah, in, in not too great a distance from Terang. Yep. You talk about farmers coming in from the north. You're obviously implying from across the border in New South Wales. And you say they've come in beef. Does it surprise you that they've come in with that part of the industry and not just moved into what is already well established, that is the dairy in the area? I guess it's um, it doesn't really surprise me in the fact that uh, when this started, of course, uh, New South Wales and further north were uh, in a prolonged drought. And one of the advantages of this area, we we get a steady uh, rainfall every year. And I guess that they've looked at that and, and said, hey, we know our beef. Our beef will do well in this area or... Or, or this is a, a good area for the particular sheep we have. So I think it's just a bit good business decision. It also strengthens the economy of the local area by widening the base. Absolutely, yes, which has been good for us, yes. Now, you're only 200, just over 200 k southwest of Melbourne along that magnificent piece of Australia, the Great Ocean Road. Are you also seeing as a result of COVID, we've heard this in other co-op people I've spoken to, are you also seeing younger couples or that tree change that have looked and said, look, with technology, the way things have changed, is that also started to be felt in the area? Uh, yeah, in two ways. Um, we've had the younger couples, as you mentioned, uh, but also the, the, we've had the tree change of people coming from, from Melbourne and Geelong uh, who are closer to retirement. And certainly uh, 2020, i.e. COVID, drove that increase, which is, uh, it's not peculiar to this town, it's peculiar to every small town in southwest Victoria. It's, it's been great for the economy, I'm sure. And what is a plus? I noticed that uh, in the last census, uh, the average age of uh, Terang was 44, which you look at a lot of country towns, they'd be so envious of the fact that you've got this young demographic coming in as well, where they're looking at directly involved in farming or related industry. Yes, I've been in Tarang about six years. And I know when I first came here, um, there was a great concern, even within the the local Karangamite Shire, um, with regard to an ageing population in, in, uh, in a number of ways. The uh, COVID-19 has, has certainly changed that and put a, a fair, uh, much more breadth to the population, which obviously, as you state, is, is great for us. Now, the co-op itself, it's been going since 1908. Now, the unusual thing about it, particularly a co-op that's got that sort of history, co-ops tend to start, they tend to germinate, particularly going back that far, from farms and farmers. But in fact, the Tarang co-op, in a way, went from the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an interesting story. Um Unfortunately, in the 1940s, uh, we had a major fire, and so we've lost a lot of that original history. So, um, and I haven't been able to find out 
a lot of the detail, but the terrain co-op started as a, as a retail co-op. There's a bit of conjecture around um, how that started and, or why that started, but it started as the local retailer, grocery, farm supplies, I guess, uh, back in 1908, which, as I said, I'm well aware that uh, many co-ops start off the opposite way as, as a real farm service business. Uh, and morph into the retail side. But we've had a strong retail base for that 114-odd years we've been around. Yeah, probably the closest link to that primary background of usual startups for co-ops is, uh, and it's because of the history of that area, is dairy and dairy servicing, which the co-op has been involved with along with the retail. Yeah, dairies. I guess what's happened in, in more recent times, um, the depopulation of the um, the area started with uh, a, a lot of the smaller family-owned or, or small family dairy farms uh, started to get purchased by their neighbours um, as the economics, with, along with farming, affected them. And uh, over over time, um, through the 60s, 70s and 80s, um, some of the bigger farming families uh, got bigger uh, and they brought up their neighbours and uh, and just by the pure economics of farming, um, the, the, the small farm wasn't sustainable. So I guess um, the, the depopulation caused uh, a number of issues for co-ops such as ourselves, but we've managed to, to survive that in, in a very strong part of the local community. While a lot of the records and history were destroyed in that fire, I do like one bit of uh, history that obviously someone either recalled or was on paper elsewhere. Originally, the shares, you could get 200 for four bob. That was, as I understand it, the way it was sold. Now, and in the 1980s, it was $2 a share. How does the structure for shareholders work now? Uh, we're still at that $2 a share, and uh, I believe it's a minimum uh, shareholding of 25 shares. I have $50 cost to become a, a member of the Terrain Co-op. And... Getting that share, what does that buy a person? It buys that person a, a membership into an exclusive little club, really. It's a history that the town is proud of, and uh, we, uh, we allocate um, points for every dollar that's spent um, at, at 1%, which is, is appreciated at the end of the year. And, of course, uh, some members, um, if they are a little bit hard up, um, they can pay off that membership through their accumulated points from their purchases. So there's a lot of advantages. Um, and as a co-op, we put a lot back into the community. Um, we, we Just to, off the top of my head, we sponsor three local footy clubs, uh, footy netball clubs in the, in the region, uh, numerous bowls clubs, um, you name it, the terrain co-ops there. Now, the, the shares, the 25 shares at um, $2 each, is there a limit on how many shares can be actually held by an individual? I'm afraid that's a question that I can't answer. I, I, there are families that hold a lot more shares than that now. But of the recent times and my times here, people have just paid the $25, the, sorry, the $50 and taken the 25 shares. So by history, yes, um, they, they can accumulate more shares. But I guess in today's world, there's a common sense around that that sort of suggests that we, we you know, we just take the um, uh, the 25 shares and, and we're a member. 
And as you say, there are benefits of being a member. What about on such things as voting rights? If you're a shareholder, does your ability to cast a vote change with the number of shares you have? Absolutely not. Um, as a um, uh, distributing co-op, it's one member, one vote, no matter how many shares that you have or no matter how much you spend. Um, so uh, we're, um, you know, we stick to the rules of co-ops on that one. You've got a numerous businesses in the uh, town itself, as I said, a population of just under 2,000, and you've got the IGA supermarket, hardware store, if I remember correctly. A town of that size and people commuting more and more, how do you compete with the larger towns in that area? I I guess the competition is um, we have to be on the ball. We have to be good at retail. So that's the first prerequisite. We have to match our competition. So our closest Woolworths is... um, 20 k's away, 15 minutes drive, uh, and then you've got Woolworths and Coles and Warrnambool, which is about 40 minutes away. So the challenge here was to ensure that supermarket retail is up to the best standard it can be, um, and certainly that's the same approach that we've taken with our Mitre 10 stores. Uh, the only way that we can really compete is through the partnerships we have with the the Metcash provided companies, as in uh, independent hardware, which is essentially Mitre 10, and of course IGA uh, plus liquor. Um, without their support, we probably wouldn't have the competitive buying. Kevin, often uh, in a small town such as Tarang, and when you've got something like the supermarket, which is owned by the co op, there's one of two ways they can go. They can make it a very basic operation, just offering the essentials for people to buy. But from what I understand, you do offer the essentials, the toilet paper, the deodorant, toiletries and stuff like that. But while it may not be described as boutique, you do also offer specialties in certain food lines as well. That to me is part of retaining the customer base within the town and and not giving them the excuse to shop outside town. So we, um, as you say, it would be very easy for us to, to be a convenience retailer uh, and uh, just just live off um, that convenience shopping. But for us to survive and grow, um, we need to be competitive and we need to be better. We only just need to be better than their competitors in the surrounding towns. And we need to be good enough to make people think twice before they drive to uh, a larger town to shop. So what we did, um, we spent a just on a million dollars up upgrading our um, IGA store. Uh, we remodeled it and uh, part of that remodeling was was a, an overall plan to have a shop that looked something like what you might find in South Melbourne. And we've been able to achieve that. And from that, we've got uh, a lot of pride with our members and shoppers uh, who basically will, will tell us that they won't shop anywhere, anywhere else because we have what everything that they need. And, you know, it, it, in a real world, people are going to shop elsewhere. That's, that's part of life. Uh, but we're getting uh, a much greater share of that shopping basket now than we were uh, three to five years ago. 
You're listening to Meet the Co-op Farmer podcast, part of Business Council of Co-ops and Mutuals, or BCCM, and my guest is Kevin Ford, the CEO of the Terang Co-op, and I'm Michael Kavanagh. Kevin, we're talking about the specialty of uh, the store in general. How do you then, because you do target, for example, you've got some of the local wineries on board, and... um, getting them to supply to you, was it difficult to convince the rest of the co-op board members and people like that that it was worth going into buying from locals and still not hurt the bottom line? No, it wasn't. That that was part of the IGA brand and, and certainly part of the co-op. Um, we should be encouraging to do as much business with our members and our community as we can. There is a another side of that too, um, in that uh, we, we're really asking those farmers and um, uh, those suppliers to shop with us as well. So it's a double-sided coin. For every dollar that's spent with the co-op, um, there's a substantial amount remains in the town. So when we looked at um, encouraging something beyond the the normal, let's say, IGA offer or city offer. We, we try to get as much local product as we can. That uh, works in two ways. Uh, it certainly helps our local shoppers. Um, they get the opportunity of purchasing product that, that they would normally get in a city supermarket at a lower price, but also something that they, they can get local if they've got um, uh, you know visitors or they, they want to spend that extra dollar. They know that the extra dollar is going back into the local community through uh, through local producers. Do you actively go to those producers and say, look, we're thinking about a possible line, whether in the wine you say, look, Savion Blanc's going okay at the moment, or is it the producers come to you and say, look, we've got this particular product, we reckon it'll go okay? Works both ways. Um, initially, of course, where we didn't have too much local product, um, we went out and, and approached as many people as we could or as many suppliers as we could. It was certainly not difficult getting them on board. They're, uh, I, th- I think they're only too pleased to uh, to come in and support the co-op. Um, and that, as I said, that, that works both ways. And we've seen a substan- substantial growth in uh, local product sales since we've done that. You made the comment about buying locally and we've just seen there is this resurgence and a loyalty increasingly, particularly in regional centres, about buying, shopping, selling and producing locally. You've been involved in uh, co-ops, not just at Terang there, you said the last six years, but you're also involved in WA. And you're from New Zealand, which uh, has a very strong co-op culture. Are they different in different areas or do you think overall, particularly with the growth in support of co-ops, that there's a greater understanding and also a more clear picture of what co-ops do? I think there's a growing understanding of what co-ops do. And and I think those of us within the the cooperative industry, industry, so to speak, need to continue to to have our voices heard. There's a lot of similarities, uh, a lot of similarities from what I've seen in, in WA and New Zealand and here. But it's it's over to us as co-ops to continue to remind our members that um, it's essential that they shop with us and it's essential that those 
uh, the dollars that they spend come back into their community. There's a lot of, I guess, incentive where um, farmers may under, be under pressure, they, they may be price-driven uh, to go elsewhere. But we've got to be able to build the benefit for that farming community as to what keeps the community together. And as soon as you start to lose your small towns, um, which we've all seen, that's where the community falls apart. And I um, have focused really on my role in, in this business is to ensure that we be the best retailers that we can be and people want to shop with us. That keeps us going in the market. And the what I have seen both in West Australia and, and here is um, the success of the co-op has led to other small businesses starting up in the main street where uh, not too long ago the main street was uh, getting pretty empty. There was a lot of empty shops. We're now seeing people have a shot at starting up their own business and uh, uh, you get some variety and, and, of course, that really grows the community even more. So it, it's really important that uh, that our members, uh, the, the wider farming community, do as much of their shopping with us as we can. And, and it's the onus on us is to be as, as good as we can be to make it worthwhile shopping with us. How closely do you work with those new businesses as the co-op and being very conscious you have to make a quid but at the same time be part of the community? How closely do you work with those other businesses? With startups, we, uh, I mean, we're well aware, well aware of them in the community. Um, I guess the way I see it is they have to stand on their own two feet, and uh, things do get a little awkward where we run a supermarket, and you may might have a, a speciality type shop startup which comes into one of those categories. It's. Um, I guess the, the, the approach I take to that is we need to be as good as we can be and the startup, that will, that will um, drive the startup to be as good as they can be. And with that, uh, the community wins. So um, we, are, we, we certainly don't try and prevent anybody starting up. Um, we, I, with the team I work with, I make sure and try and set the highest standards that we can set and hope that the startup takes those standards and actually does it better than we can. Um, that's a win-win for the community. I like the fact that uh, in the early part of last century, a messenger used to go out to the farms and he or she would take an order from that farm. And in those days, it would have been the wife of the farmer. And it'd be next day delivery. That's that's a pretty uh, good record. Now, in these days, have you gone down the line of online shopping, where in effect it's the messenger, but uh, through uh, the joys of technology and computers? Yeah, we've been in home delivery for a long, long time. I, I don't know how long, probably since the start of the co-op. Um, yes, we, we do have online ordering. Um, we also have phone and ordering, uh, which is pretty much what you described originally. Um, the uh, it, it's um, we have to match the two centuries. Um, we're we're trying to build into the twenty first century 
uh, with our online ordering and our um, home deliveries. But essentially, that hasn't changed from what it was. It's just the means of taking the order and, del and the delivery has changed. Um, I have a, um, a manager here who, who can recall his father doing deliveries to farms on his, uh, on his bike. I think if I suggested to any of our staff today that um, we were going to buy a few bikes and they were going to start making deliveries, that it probably wouldn't go down too well. But, yeah, look, it's, it's been a successful part of the co-op for a long time. It's, it's not a major part. It, it's, I guess you'd see it as a service. Um, and we're now at a stage where we're trying to transition away from the phone orders, which can be very time-consuming, time and try and get more online ordering. But as a percentage of our business, it's still quite low, very low. Um, but the offer's there, and uh, we do everything that the uh, the big boys in the, in the industries do. That is something that co-ops probably have to sell, and again, it's a bit of a fine line, is that personal service, being able to get out and make sure that you can deliver. And I like that idea or that story you mentioned about you've got a person in the store whose father was also an employee of the co-op. And you do see that with co-ops. Often it's multi-generational. Yes, uh, well, I think I've got more than one employee like that. Yeah, the, the, certainly going back in time and even today, I, we probably are the one of the largest employers in the community. But we've had uh, a tradition of loyalty of, of local people um, being employed at the co-op, you know, starting at, at 14 or 15 and working their whole life through um, with the co-op. Uh, it's, it's really unusual in the 21st century to be able to talk about things like that, where many of us have had a number of careers. But uh, within our community, uh, it's, it's been uh, almost tradition that um, you, you know when you start at the co-op and, and you're there for life. That is changing, um, and one of the, the big motivations that, that that really excite me is um, what we bring into the business um, of of after-school workers. Uh, and this has been traditional for a long, long time within the co-op. Every year we get a, um, an influx of um, 15, 16-year-olds uh, who are with us for two, three, sometimes four years before they go on to further studies. And the records of achievement that those students have in their, long, in, in their longer life is quite amazing. To know that they started with us uh, nowadays on a checkout or in Mitre 10, uh, it's quite exciting, particularly uh, when you see them come in shy, hardly say a word, and three months later they know everybody in the town, uh, they chat away at, at, the, at the checkouts in a hugely friendly manner. It's really exciting to, to, to see the town and, and our people develop like that. I'm Michael Kavner and this is Meet the Co-op Farmer. Uh, part of the Business Council of Co-ops and Mutuals podcast. And my guest today is Kevin Ford, the CEO of Tereng Co-op, which is a town around about 200 kilometres southwest of Melbourne. Kevin, uh, you've got the Mitre 10, you've got the IGA, you're still involved in uh, dairy 
work, not as in providing butter making and that sort of thing, but more the um, after farm service. You've got to keep pace with business and change and everything like that. And as we talked about, you've got towns nearby that can offer much more services than what um, Turan can. Are you looking at any change in direction for the overall operation or do you think you've got it pretty well right? Yeah, we operate, as well as the Mitre 10 and, and the IGA, we operate a rule store, which we have done for uh, a number of years. I, I, that It split off as a rule store back in the 90s, I think, um, when it split out from a, the, the general operation. It's, it's a tough business rule, and we keep looking strategically at is, is it a business that we should be in? Um, there are people, there, there are businesses that do it better than us, and of course, you'll understand that uh, all the listeners will understand that uh, uh, there is a, um, a strong will from farmers to retain the rural business. But when we sit down and look at things, we're very good at the retail business of uh, business to customer. We're not quite as good at, at business to business. So that's something that we're, we're looking at now um, and we'll continue to look at. But there's also no sitting still. We can't afford to uh, to think that we've we've got things all all set up and we're right for life now. Uh, we've got to continue to evolve uh, and to grow and to look at other opportunities. And those opportunities may be a little bit further afield. Um, I guess what we look at at the moment is trying to work to our strengths. Um, and rural is, as I said, it's a very difficult customer for uh, uh, for the likes of ourselves. Now, you've got over just over 3,000 members in a small town and people are shareholders and they go in and buy. Do you also get confronted by the fact that they're not just shareholders, there's more than just being a shareholder and people are quite willing to give you their opinion of what's going on in relation to the co-op and how its place is in the town? <laughs> that could be a yes or no question uh, answer. Um, Going back to my time in West Australia and in, in Mount Barker in, in West Australia and looking at our uh, the Tarang uh, customers, yes, every one of our members or, or co-op members with their, the, their 25 shares have ownership in the business and they're very uh, open in sharing their thoughts in what we should be doing. Uh, at, at times... Um, I guess what I'll say is we listen to everybody and what uh, we've worked on is looking at the business they're in. What do we do? We're in retail, so we have to be the best we can be at retail and, and ignore the fact we're a co-op. Um, so let's get our service right, um, let's get our products right, and get our pricing right. And, and with that, we build that customer uh, business-to-customer relationship. I, I think the good thing is the ownership that the members have in the business and they care enough to come and talk to us if, if they see that there's something that they they don't understand uh, or they don't think is right. The onus is back on us then to be able to explain uh, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and uh, hopefully that satisfies the uh, the query. But, yeah, this is working within a co-op is nothing like a general retail Um Everybody owns the business, and uh, although I might be CEO, 
mean, there are times when I feel well, I've got there's 3,001 CEOs. That's, that's the fun about it and that's the challenge. The huge amount of satisfaction is when, you cut, when your members start telling you, hey, look, this is the best this has ever been uh, or this is the best shop. Once those compliments uh, start coming back, you realise that uh, the membership have bought into to what we're doing. Kevin Ford, who's the CEO of the Terang Co-op, a town 200k southwest of Melbourne, and he's my guest in today's Business Council of Co-ops and Mutuals Meet the Co-op Farmer podcast. Kevin, co-ops in Europe and in particular places like the Netherlands have got a really long tradition, very much part of the community, part of the business sector, very much accepted by the rest of the business community. And they carry a fair bit of weight in, in some of those countries and not just in the primary sector and banking and that sort of thing. In Australia, do you think, and you've worked across the continent when it comes to co-ops, are the co-ops themselves aware that they can be a stronger player and are they accepted as a voice by government and the rest of the business community? I think that's changed considerably in the last 12 years of my time being in Australia, or 12 or 13 years. The formation of BCCM has taken us to another level. I think before BCCM existed, we were a group of lost souls all doing their things around Australia. Nowadays, there's unity. Where um, we seem to be hitting the right notes politically, and we need to continue to build on that. The awareness of co-ops across the society isn't huge. A lot of people don't realise just where where co-ops are and what they're doing, and also they're not fully aware of the advantages of a co-op and having a co-op in their community, or being that you know their bank is a co-op. I, I would like to see the, the awareness and, and uh, the growing of um, co-ops continue to grow a lot more in the future. I think they've tried pretty near every model uh, model of economics. Um, they haven't really tried the co-op one, and uh, I'd really like to see uh, uh, co-ops continue to grow and, and become stronger. In that growth, have you got a cap on how many people can be a shareholder in the terrain? co-op or it's just if you turn up and you live in because usually co-ops you've got to shop so many times a year at that co-op have you reached the threshold of members or it's always open to people that are willing to buy shares yeah no there isn't a threshold um we'd have as many members as we could and if uh, uh they be continue to become current members, um, we'd love to keep them for life. The challenge for those current members is uh, within this co-op, it, it differs with different co-ops, is uh, to remain a member, um, they need to spend $50 a year. And with that, they, they spend their $50 a year, they're a current member and they can stay as a member as, as long as they like. So we don't have a cap on the number of members and in fact, um, we uh, we do a lot of work to try and continue to grow our membership. We could probably do a little bit better in cleaning up the, the bottom, the, the tail end, 
uh, of the customers who maybe don't spend $50 a year, but that's a, a work in progress for, uh, for the next 12 months or two years. A co-op like the Tarang Co-op, close to the community, and it looks, and you've talked about how kids come in and um, keep coming back, whether it be working part-time or, in fact, several generations. After all these years, you're about to ride off into the sunset. Does that mean that uh, the co-op's got in, in, in place a succession plan of someone that actually understands co-ops? And is it important that a person that comes in as CEO, even if they're not from Tarang, how important is it to have that understanding of co-ops as opposed to just straight retail? It, it's very important, to be honest. Um, uh, we and, and people who um, know um, a little about co-ops uh, are few and far between. Uh, the good thing today is that there are learning opportunities. Uh, there's great support across the uh, the cooperative world. In, in Australia, um, I was very fortunate to, to learn a lot about co-ops from from West Australia and, and Co-ops WA. Um, they uh, they helped form some of my opinions and understanding of, of where uh, where co-ops sat in the community and what we could do and what we can't do. Um, but uh, I, I don't hold any fears for an incoming CEO. Um, it's certainly something an incoming CEO would need to want to learn about co-ops um, because it's not straight retail. Um, and one of the things that uh, is different about a co-op is uh, sometimes good things take time. And uh, you don't, have, don't only have to communicate with your staff and board, uh, you've got a, uh, an obligation to bring members along with you. And... Uh, it's, it's understanding that it's not a corporate world. Um, you can't go out and, and change things overnight, but you can change things. And that makes it a, a bigger challenge. But uh, there's there's a lot of um, support and assistance. Uh, again, I'll come up with BCCM is, is always there uh, to help educate uh, the future CEOs of, of the cooperative world. Well, Kevin, you're leaving in a fairly strong position. And as the CEO of the Tarang Co-op, best of luck with the future of yourself and for the uh, Co-op. And thanks very much for your time. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Michael. I've really enjoyed it.